Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. Taping this on a Thursday afternoon, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Also here in Knoxville, Tennessee, my good friend Stats by Will over there in the Ridge of the Oak area. Will, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. This weather has been amazing lately, by the way. Yes, the weather is great. Um, I'm hoping you're taking full advantage uh, with your runs in this this weather. Um, Say, pour one out for me on all your runs. Mm. I'm just a a fallen runner uh, in these trying times. I'm I'm trying to break my own half marathon record uh, tomorrow. I think by the time people listen to this, it will Mm. technically be, quote, today, so Mm -hmm. 9.30. So... Hopefully, fingers crossed, by the time people are listening to this, I will have maybe not shattered, but, you know, slightly broken my old record. Very much we're getting into our old man uh, portion of our lives is that, like, I think you're probably the same here, where I'm so excited for October weather and just the month of October, which is undoubtedly the best month uh, every year. Like, I am just so excited for October. It just, it's going to be amazing. Yes, 100%. If you have a month ranked ahead of October you're uh, in your month rankings, please see us in the office. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Um, Will, we do have some fun uh, college basketball stuff because this is, as we say each week, ostensibly a college basketball show here on the program. Um, I think we start. Uh, we kind of built off this last week when we were talking about uh, NC State and whether or not Kevin Keats was the right guy for the Wolfpack and if this could get turned around at any point uh, in Raleigh. Um, you can check that out here on the Chase Homes Podcast if you've not already done so. Previous episodes from or last week. Um, you can also uh, look at this week where you may have done some digging, Will, and found that there is actually one coach who has done even less with more than uh, Kevin Keats and NC State. So who is that, and uh, what was the process in uh, just getting to this point? So Keats is definitely up there among the Mm. sports leading underachievers. I don't think that's like a real argument. But uh, I ran the numbers out of curiosity. And again, I I would like to preface this. This is not scientific. This is something I cooked up uh, a couple nights ago. And it had a fairly good correlation to overall program success. So I was pleased with most of the results. Mm. Um, but this was using, so Bart Torvik has what is called a projected talent metric. Uh, and that's kind of like your effective talent combined with your average stars. So like, you know, it kind of combines like, did you recruit well? Also, do you have like experienced old guys coming back? Mm. Uh, naturally, it does benefit. Like you're not going to be shocked to hear that Duke ranks number one in this metric <laughs> of the last four years. Not a shocker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I cross-checked that with the average star rating on my beloved Verbal Commits great page. Mm. Um, so among top fifty recruiters last four years, nobody has underachieved more with their personnel than Stanford's Jared Haas. Mm. Uh, I think he slash Stanford fly under the radar because. You know, in your head, they're not like a traditional Pac-12 power, right? Mm-hmm. But you and I are old enough to remember one the, year, the one the year Stanford went undefeated before their final game, and two, the Lopez twins. Like, yeah. Stanford was very good when I was growing up under Mike Montgomery and Trent Johnson. Mm-hmm. And they've certainly dwindled away since. And, you know, you can kind of see that happening with their football program as well. I don't know as much about their other programs, but the top two, obviously women's basketball doing really well, Mm -hmm. but the top two not doing so hot. That being said, 
Also a great uh, baseball program. Yes. So I, I don't think people know this, but in terms of average talent and average star rating last four years, Stanford ranks 19th in all of college basketball in terms mm. of talent. Like they've had some pretty good guys like Casey Okpala, uh, Tyrell Terry, Zaira Williams, all Stanford guys. I mean, all NBA draft picks. Mm -hmm. uh, would you like to guess how many times Jared Haas in his six years has either finished in the top 40 of Ken Palm or made the NCAA tournament? Once? Zero. Zero uh, I was going to say, because I feel like the three years ago, they were pretty solid. Was that the COVID year where they were actually like kind of... The COVID year, they were right on the cut line. I went okay. back and looked at bracket, bracket Matrix, and I think mm. they were the first team out. So That's, they, what, they that's the been... last memory I have of Stanford being decent was the COVID year. Yes, yes. And, and so like figuring out college basketball recruiting is frankly 100% impossible. Like mm. in terms of like, you know, getting it all the way through, knowing all the connections, knowing how it's all going to work. But as best as I can tell, Haas's lead recruiter on most of those guys, including the three NBA draft picks, was Adam Cohen. Mm -hmm. So he's an assistant who was at Vandy under Stallings and then was with, uh, with Haas at Stanford for all six years. Cohen left in April for Xavier. Mm -hmm. And so if your case for the job before you got it was pretty flimsy, I mean, it seems to me it was based off the back of one NCAA tournament win at UAB. Your reason for most of your best talent is gone, and you still haven't made the tournament. What exactly is it that you're doing here? Mm -hmm. And so I, I think if they don't make the NCAA tournament this year, which frankly seems likely, Stanford's going to move on, and I'm very curious to see what they do. It's weird because if you look at those Mike Montgomery records, like he was killing it at Stanford, mm -hmm. and then he goes they to Cal, cruising. and I mean Cal has not been the same since Montgomery was uh, let go too. I mean if you go through. Those Cal teams, they were making the tournament consistently um, under yeah. him. And it just, they have not been able to get the guy. Because I think, I mean, I'm not sure how you felt about Haas at the time, but like Johnny Dawkins was a celebrated hire. It was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, the Duke yeah. background, Stanford, West Coast, like this makes sense. Like you get the thought process there. It still just didn't really ever work. Like he, they just never got to that. Like Mike Montgomery was going 30 and 2, 24 and 9, 31 and 3. Like Dawkins' best year was 24 and 13. You look at Jared Haas's best year is 20 and 12. Like they've never gotten back. I mean, we're now looking at 20 years of the last time Stanford was an elite, elite basketball program. Yeah. And it's like Haas is, by all accounts, a pretty good guy. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't want to discount that. So. I mean, that's a good thing, but... None of these are mean-spirited. We're just saying, like, the, yeah. why is this the case? Yeah. It's just, like... Well, especially, you know, given, like, his, quote, success at UAB. I mean, he did make the NCAA tournament. He won a game as a 14 seed. You can't discount that. Mm. And the year after, they probably should have made it, but lost in the conference tournament as the one seed. Mm. Um, that being said... I kind of feel like that gets discounted a little bit when you see Andy Kennedy at UAB right now, and both mm. of his UAB teams are better than anything Haas ever had. Um, yeah, I I think that's kind of a problem. So I, I don't know. It's And he's got a great, like, just resume. Like, his time yeah. at Kansas under Roy Williams, and then he follows Roy to North Carolina, and he was there it, for a long time, and, and he I played think we at Kansas. Reiterate, it is not difficult, at least in my head, to recruit to Stanford. I know yeah. there's academic restrictions, but... Of all states to be recruiting in, California is flooded with good athletes who are smart. Yeah, I would I agree. Mean, you I have your chance. So they got to get somebody else in there. And it's not like, uh, I mean, dating back to when he was hired, I'm not sure off the top of my head who the regional options were available at the time. Mm -hmm. But I wonder if there's a guy out there 
you know, like none immediately come to mind, but it could be Cohen even as an assistant now at Xavier. Who's the guy who comes in, replaces that, who can get the guys, but then coaches them up? And I mean, I don't feel like their fans are asking for much. They're just asking for like, let's make the tournament, you know, two out of every three to four seasons. I think mm-hmm. that's a reasonable request. I mean, I'm looking at Kyle Smith, though, if I'm Stanford. Oh, yeah. I'm, I would be looking at somebody like that, just pulling one of the smaller West Coast programs that are finding success. Kyle Smith or Nico Medved at Colorado mm-hmm. State. Uh, that's another good pull. Good pull. But it's also like we've liked ostensibly their last two pulls and it just hasn't worked out. So I don't know. Um, yeah. It's just a weird one. I agree, though, that Stanford should be better and yeah. uh, they should figure this out. Um, coaching tiers. Who fits in the top couple tiers for you, Will, right now? So The Athletic had this list earlier this week. Mm-hmm. It was Dana O'Neill and somebody else. Um, and Well, I don't, I don't think it was just those two. They pulled a bunch of coaches and uh, tastemakers and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But their top tier is eight coaches. Tony Bennett, Coach Cal, Scott Drew, Mark Few, Izzo, Patino, Kelvin Sampson, and Bill Self. And I think it's pretty darn hard to argue against any of those eight. Mm-hmm. I mean... In terms of resumes, I don't really think there's a ninth that matches it in college basketball. Hmm. The only one of those guys who is not, or actually two of those guys, I think, who have not won a title are uh, Mark Few and Kelvin Sampson, and Hmm. they've had the two best programs over the last four years. So it's like there's, I'm not really sure who the ninth would be. This might be mildly controversial. I really don't know. If I had to name a ninth, or like a guy who's on the cusp, who's like an accomplishment away from getting there, mm-hmm. uh, you could go with one of three. I think you could go with, obviously, Rick Barnes, Bruce Pearl, or Matt Painter at Purdue. I think those mm-hmm. three, they're like on the cusp. They could get there. Like Chris Beard is kind of in that convo too, uh, though I feel like his star is like faded somehow. But mm-hmm. uh, if they, if any of those three ever get that elusive Final Four or title game bid, I guess, I mean, Auburn did make the final four, but if they make the title game, I think they could make that jump. Because at all three of those schools, getting a final four or title game bid is a massive accomplishment. I think you could, I mean, Mick Cronin is just on the periphery there a little bit too. And I would even throw... I'm more of like, I'm more of seeing him as like a top 20 guy. Hmm. Uh, He's got a, I do think he had the UCLA final four success, Hmm. but he did have a lot of, disappointing marches with cincinnati yeah i wonder i mean the bottom tier too is like the Juwan, the like the and we're not saying bottom like one of the worst but like this just weird group like tommy lloyd you could see rising there mm-hmm. relatively soon Juwan. Uh, uh yeah you can uh, see that we'll see what happens with brad underwood over the next couple of years because i think he's probably on that teeter where those teams are going to be consistently really good and he's recruited well and um, I don't know. He has to win a little bit more in March uh, to get to that point. But Anthony Grant is someone I would also keep mm-hmm. an eye on because, um, I mean, he just got kind of screwed with the the 2020 year. He was like the, Dayton was the ultimate 2020 yeah. screw <laughs> team. Um, but I, I would not be surprised if he uh, just keeps building and uh, he's someone to watch out for uh, in the next couple of years as a tier two, tier one guy. There, so there are only two on this list that I actually got a little offended by not being higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Adams at Texas Tech and hmm. Brian Dutcher at San Diego State. So both are in tier four yeah. alongside such luminaries as Penny Hardaway and Mike White. Mm. And uh, I think I'm going to go out on a limb here. Mark Adams and Brian Dutcher are better coaches than those two guys. I also think Steve Forbes is a little undervalued here. 
a hair, yeah. I, it is kind of a deal where like they should have made the tournament last year, mm-hmm. and I don't know how much you can control that. But if he continues to build at Wake, he's going to rise. Mm-hmm. But it's like Adams owns the best defense in college basketball. Dutcher, I mean, we're five years past Steve Fisher now, and Dutcher has had three of the five best San Diego State teams in the last 40 years. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what more he has to do to get recognized nationally. because He's uh, maybe a Stanford target. I mean, I don't, but I don't think they could draw him away. I feel like San Diego State's got a lot of money. Hmm. Yeah, he's 119 and 40 career, 74% winning percentage. Um, yeah, he's been just, just elite. Uh, yeah. Throughout his time, that's a good pull. Uh, I um, mean, imagine giving the Arizona State roster to Brian Dutcher. They mm. they might win the Pac-12. Interesting. Um, you really just want to, you're just anti. But I, I'm, I've got a, uh, we'll get into it later at a later <laughs> date, but I've got, got games a... circled on my personal calendar this year and a couple involve Arizona State. Um, well, speaking of Memphis a little bit and Penny Hardaway, they are not uh, going to suffer any kind of uh, serious uh, repercussions for what happened in the James Wiseman case that came to a close this week. Was there anything that uh, jumped out to you about the infractions and uh, what it means for Memphis basketball in the short term? Not much. I mean, the recruiting probation is interesting. Coaches are able to get around that a little bit, but mm-hmm. it is, it's, you can't like sugarcoat it too much. Like it will make it a little more difficult. Like you can't be as far much in contact. Like you can't have as many, as many guys on the road. I, but I think the biggest thing is it's like, it's pretty light. And I think it's a big win that there's no postseason punishment whatsoever. Um, and with that, I think we need to have a conversation about Oklahoma State getting big time screwed with their year off from the NCAA tournament for basically the same infractions. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like, and I understand Memphis is a higher profile program than Oklahoma State in every regard, but either give Memphis the same punishment for basically the same crime or don't mm-hmm. punish either. Uh, I would, at this point, I would prefer the latter, don't punish either, because the NCAA has no ability to find any sort of consistent ground in any punishment anywhere. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm all right with Memphis coming off light, uh, and I mean, given it's just you know, as far as we know, one player, James Wiseman, and it did technically happen before Penny was the Memphis head coach. Uh, I, I don't feel like it's a big deal. Uh, I, I'm frankly much more interested to see what happens with the LSU case whenever it's resolved in about uh, 2028 or so. Um, interesting. Well. We'll see what ultimately happens. I think it's not a talent issue, though. Maybe that's a good thing, is that they have to focus less on recruiting and more on actual in-game adjustments and uh, being a better team on the floor, not an ostensibly talented team that should be great. It's actually like what actually should happen on the floor, not a theoretical team. They're doing something interesting. Uh, It's the uh, Memphis Play Basketball in December Challenge this year, uh, which they have failed for four years running. So I'm excited to see what they can do. against literally any team of note uh, in a month that is not February or March. Uh, there you go. Uh, we shall see. We shall see, my friend. Um, Syracuse. There was a really good piece on ESPN.com uh, that I highly encourage folks to go read uh, by uh, my Metcalf, who wrote about um, the – he's just one of the premier – uh, college basketball writers in the country and always read Myron uh, whenever you can. He's just, uh, he's great. Uh, so uh, he wrote about Jim Beheim though. And we talked about him a little bit on the periphery, right? Where Syracuse, obviously they don't land JP Estrella. He goes to uh, Tennessee. The recruiting has really petered off 
in recent years and the mellow years and the Terry McNamara years. And I mean, even the Tyler Ennis years are long gone. And this is just not a program that's putting dudes in the league anymore. It doesn't really have that kind of juice um, that it used to have that we grew up with. And I wonder like when he does retire, like did he stay too long where Syracuse is now just kind of in a bind uh, with the future. And they've just, it's just sad. Like Syracuse not being an elite basketball program uh it's just it doesn't feel right and they've just kind of petered off and they're just not real challengers we don't see a path uh with these remaining Bayheim years coaching this team uh getting back to national prominence um I don't know like what do you think uh the future of this job looks like and do you think there is a path to Syracuse getting back to what they were um it's kind of a tough one right I mean I think the answer is twofold so in theory, it could be one of like the top 10 to 15 jobs in college basketball because you have good recruiting proximity to New York mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of like good Midwest talent that people don't really talk about. Like Buffalo is a pretty solid basketball city. Mm-hmm. Um, the tradition, obviously, you got the national championship. Uh, you have like all those final fours, all those wins Bayheim has built up over the years. You have a rock solid program identity. If there's one thing everybody knows about Syracuse, one the Carrier Dome 2, the Orange Uniforms 3, the 2-3 two, zone. Mm-hmm. They, everybody who has watched like college basketball more than a few times knows of Syracuse and knows what they do generally. And that's why it likely will not be one of the premier jobs because the recruiting, like you mentioned, has fallen behind other ACC foes. So same study I did uh, for Stanford, Syracuse's four-year recruiting average, and they used to be a yearly top two or three team in this, now down to fifth in the ACC over the last four years, seventh over the last two. Hmm. So they're like a mid-pack side. They're West Ham in the ACC. Um, last, I don't know if people realize this either, given the Final Four you know, magic run. Last top 25 finish they had in Ken Palm was 2014. That's hmm. eight years ago now. And the, I think the program is now more identified as one that sleepwalks for four months before vexing 20-year-olds that suddenly don't know how to break down a 2-3 zone in March. Uh, and, I mean, that it's kind of like, you know, Beheim's still one of the greats. I don't feel like it's a crazy thing to say that and to say, like, you know, he still has something in there. At the same time, I don't think it's wild at all to say his best days are far behind him. Hmm. I mean, if you think about it, the best player Syracuse has had in the last... I don't know, six, seven years mm-hmm. is Buddy Beheim, a literal gym relative. Mm-hmm. So you have to go, I mean, who who was the best, you know, prior to him? Ennis? I mean, maybe I, you might have to go all the way back to, like, yeah, Tyler Ennis or even like Johnny Flynn, Wes Johnson. I was going to say, to that's find like the last them. marquee Syracuse player. It's not great. It really isn't. And, I think, you know, he reasonably could have called it a day three or four years ago. Because mm-hmm. the longer he hangs on and the more Syracuse's standards slip, I mean, you know, again, we say this disclaimer every time, projections aren't everything, but they're projected to finish 74th by Torvik. The less attractive this job is going to be on the open market, because one, you're replacing a coaching legend, two, mm-hmm. who has ensured that you're going to need at least a couple of years to dig out of what he's left behind, if not longer, if you plan on not running his own it's not going to be a very optimal situation for a coach to step into. And uh, they're, I mean, frankly, 
their best hope might be that Jim calls it quits after this year and they can just go hire Colgate's Matt Langle, a younger guy mm. who they know has New York ties, is well-versed in the region. You got to get somebody who's going to come in there, you know, be okay with the traditions, be okay and be, you know, flexible with what he runs, but also just have more of like a day-to-day spirit, I feel. It's also kind of weird that like they have not been great but they still have just found ways when they make the tournament to win mm-hmm. several games like it just you go through it and you're like man what was the last and you're like oh they made the sweet 16 two years ago oh yeah. they went to, to the sweet 16 in 2017 2018 oh they went to the final four in 2015 2016 you go through it and it's like the wins haven't been there and it's been like a rough watch for Syracuse mm-hmm. But like come tournament time, for whatever reason, they just over, uh, they just not not overexert, but they just kind of uh, do more than the sum of their parts, and mm-hmm. it's kind of weird that they've had this success that they've actually had them. It's March. kind of like it's like the reverse of how. Do you remember like under Paul Johnson how you would always want to catch Georgia Tech in a bowl mm-hmm. because you had a month to prepare. Right, yeah, rather it's than like a week the of reverse. Yeah. It's the reverse of that, where it's like, <laughs> if you catch Syracuse on March 17th, you are screwed. But if you yes. catch Syracuse on January 17th, that's going to be okay. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Um, I would agree with that. Um, next up, cause, man, remember when they were on national television this year and got waxed by Duke, like just <laughs> in the carrier dome, and it was just, it was over in like the first five minutes. That was, that was rough. Yeah, um, yeah poor Syracuse. Um, Texas Tech, they lose a big transfer uh, to a broken foot who I think a lot of folks were excited about. And Texas Tech, you mentioned Mark Adams and just him being undervalued. A lot of folks don't even have them in the tournament next year, uh, Will. And I wonder from your perspective with this injury and um, with where this roster looks right now. Um, so Fardaz, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Uh Mick, I Mick the he's six eleven. was my best guess, but yeah, that could be very wrong. But he was a absolute menace at Utah Valley and was just a huge rebounding guy and was gonna fill in nicely and he made a lot of sense defensively for Texas Tech and he was gonna be an important player. Um, they don't lose him for the season, but it's just it's gonna be a while before you see him back on the floor for Texas Tech. But when you look at the Red Raiders, do you see? this being a tournament team are you pretty concerned now with the depth uh, are, are you optimistic that they're going to be okay I, i'm still pro them being a tournament team okay uh i i was roughly as high in them as espn is they had uh, espn had them 24th prior mm-hmm. to the injury uh i would project them about like 10 spots worse than that post injury i mean it, it's kind of i'm not a doctor first off i merely have an english major mm-hmm. but uh given the rough average for recovery from a broken foot being about three months. Mm. Uh, you can expect IMAC to be on the bench for at least all of non-conference play. And, you know, given that he's bigger, that could hamper the recovery process a little more. It's a little tougher to project it with like, you know, six foot 11 dudes than it is six mm. foot one guys like me. Um, I, I'm not as high on IMAC as others are. Uh, he shot 47% on twos against WAC competition. Uh, which given all of his athletic advantages, that's pretty alarming. Mm-hmm. But there's zero doubting his greatness as a rebounder and foul drawer. Also a very solid rim protector. Uh, the big issue here is going to be what they do at center if while he's out. Because they have Daniel Bacho, who is not a bad backup option, 
but they certainly, as far as I could tell, were not expecting him to start this year. He's not exactly, I mean, it's kind of like at the rough value of like, if Tennessee were forced to start Euros Plavsic for an entire season without, and like give him, you know, 25 minutes a night. Mm-hmm. It's not catastrophic, but it's far from the outcome you were hoping for when you had a better option. So the the hope here is like, you know, they, they might struggle through non-conference and even the first month of Big 12, but I trust Adams to get this team to the NCAA tournament and... You know, if they come out like 10 spots worse than that ESPN ranking, so like, you know, 34th or so, not really like the eight or nine seed you're looking forward to drawing. So I still feel all right about them, but like you were hinting at, the margin for error, uh, it's getting erased a little bit. Um, Off-season winners and losers. This was uh, from CBS Sports that I thought was interesting by David Cobb. Um, he has winners, Duke, uh, you're not going to believe this, uh, loser, Arizona, winner, Indiana. Um, I thought it was interesting, uh, loser, Louisville. There's a lot of like, just, hmm, are we really concerned about what Kenny Payne's building? And I'm not there yet. And let's just see what happens with DJ Wagner uh, before we really get a little bit too crazy with Kenny Payne at Louisville. Um, but one that I think you're all in on is Creighton. Uh, I think you're a big with uh, your uh, Schneiderman love. So... Uh, when you look at this list, who jumps out to you and do you agree most with most of them? Most of them. I, I think, uh, like you, I'm a little hesitant to call out a bad start for Louisville just yeah. because it's, you know, they're kind of digging out of a big hole. Um, but I would agree with most of the winners and losers here. I think Virginia, a huge winner by re- virtue of returning everybody, mm-hmm. bring back 91% of their minutes. They're going to be very good. Indiana is going to be another continu- uh, continuation all-star. Um, uh, let me tell you, my big winner, obviously Creighton, mm-hmm. my big loser, all of us, because this first week of college basketball is trash. I was looking at the schedule this past week. Generally, at least from my memory, you know, that first Tuesday is always awesome, right? Because usually, mm-hmm. I feel like every year it's Kentucky, Kansas, or Kentucky Duke on the first Tuesday. Uh, the best game of the first two days this year uh, is Memphis Vanderbilt. Mm. Real bad. Yeah. So uh, I I don't know what exactly happened this year <laughs> because mm. like all of the interesting games have been shoved to the next week. So like November fifteenth has Duke, Kansas, Michigan State, Kentucky, San Diego State, Stanford, etc. But like, what are we doing for this first week, guys? Get those good games going. Mm-hmm. Man. Um, well, we'll see. I, I would also like to disagree yeah. with the concept that Villanova is a loser because yeah. I think Neptune is good and they have a really good roster coming back. Yeah, and with uh, Arizona because I, st- I mean, I know Arizona like lost quite a bit to the draft. Math one, going away, but yeah, I, I trust in what they brought back, and two, I do think Tommy Lloyd is a fabulous coach. So yeah. I've, I've still got them as a top fifteen team. I would agree. I think they're both going to be fine. Um, I'm not worried about Arizona or Villanova. They're they're in good hands. They're going to be okay. Um, we wrap here, uh, Will, with our season in review. The UCLA Bruins. We alluded to Mick Cronin, the job that he has done to this point. Um, we talked about whether or not this starting five was going to be uh, a potentially a Final Four team and one of the best in basketball this year uh what do you make of mick cronin's most recent year following uh the the final four run and what he did to build off that um sustainable you a believer all in on cronin in uh in los angeles 
they're a really interesting team to talk about, especially in the context of this past year. Um, we kind of made it through that offseason where every single outlet had them top five, mm. uh, more or less based off the strength of the final four run, because they were not like super special in the regular season. Mm. Um, and proceeded, uh, this is a team that proceeded to win 27 games, uh, beat Villanova, beat Arizona, beat St. Mary's, which I know that sounds weird, but is no small feat last year. Mm. Um, went 15 and five in conference, basically didn't have a bad loss. Um, and it's seen as a massively disappointing season. And it's weird to say that, but that's kind of like the context of when you open top five and you end up a four seed and losing the Sweet 16 in a very winnable game. Uh, but they're kind of a victim of expectations because you look at their Ken Palm page, uh, please guess the lowest ranking they had on Ken Palm during the entire season. 23rd? 15th. Okay. Never once did they dip out of the top 15. Hmm. That's a great run. And more than half of the season, they were in the top 10. But it's seen as kind of this, you know, minor failure of sorts because they supposedly had this generational generational roster mm-hmm. and didn't quite capitalize. But when you have the final four in the rear view, I think that makes things better. And really, given the talent they had and the talent that's coming back, I don't think there's a ton to worry about with UCLA. Again, I'm feeling them as, you know, a low-end top 10 team. I think Cronin's really got the ball rolling there. They've got a lot of talent. I cannot wait to see my man Jaime Jaquez Jr. out there again, my mm-hmm. favorite player in college basketball, two years running. It's the headband. It's just the headband, man. It is the but headband. The, but the freshmen, they've got the just a great freaking freshman class coming in. Tiger Campbell back for another year. I feel really good about them, but they're so interesting to me because, and I know we brought this up a couple months ago, of North Carolina, because we're more or less looking at the same situation. North Carolina, you know, wasn't much of anything special last year prior to the NCAA tournament, but they got hot at the right time, ripped off five straight wins, and just like UCLA, came within three points of a massive all-time upset that would have sent them to the stratosphere. Mm -hmm. And I'm having a hard time seeing people balance the season-long North Carolina and Hubert success with six games of what happened. And I feel like we just ran into the same trap with UCLA. The good thing for North Carolina is like if they did the same thing UCLA did or a top 10 to 15 team all year the second year, Mm -hmm. to me, that's still a massive success for Hubert in year two. But it's going to be if they finish lower than fifth, people are going to look at it as like a minor failure of sorts. It's also just the play style. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that's part of it, too, is just this is a defensive first mindset and they're just going to annoy the crap out of everybody like it's just that kind of play style is just never gonna be all that fun to watch on tv for a lot of folks and unc is just they don't play like that it's it's a very different vibe and look and i don't know i if you had to guess who who has the better squads over the next couple years who do you who do you believe in more cronin or hubert davis over the next three i I think hubert's just got more fertile recruiting ground built in but I mean, you uh, I, mean I mean, their okay. roster is more talented this year. And so, like, you know, I'd give the slight edge to UNC. But Cronin does have the longer and deeper track record of player development and program development, which plays mm-hmm. in his favor. I mean, the, this is technically, like, 
in theory, this should be like a slight down year for UCLA, given that they only returned 45% of scoring. Mm-hmm. But they're projected to be more or less exactly as strong as they were the last two years. So Cronin's got a, a good thing going there. And I'm really excited to watch them. And, you know, I, I think UCLA is the favorite in the Pac-12. I don't feel like that's super controversial mm. to say. I mean, their main competition probably will be Arizona. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm really excited to see what they do. I think they're going to be more or less the same as last year. Uh, and that's a good thing for college basketball. I think it's it's funny we brought North Carolina up my own doing, of course. It's good to see these two, honestly, through and through blue bloods, back at the top well can you also explain to me north carolina only having one they have a one five star they have one commit in the 2023 class right now Mm. that's weird early very early i mean but a lot of them already committed you go through this list i mean you're looking at bradshaw collier and then wagner is obviously not an option for unc i don't know like they're not going to get one of the top 10 players in this class well yeah but they've got like if they can convince like caleb love rj davis Tough mm-hmm. Johnson, et cetera, to come back for an extra year. They'll be, I mean, with NIL, they're going to have a real shot at doing so. Without looking, who would you guess has three four-stars and one five-star commit in the 2023 class? That's going to be somebody insane. Uh, I don't know. Let's go with Texas Tech. No. Very, uh, I'll give you a hint. Northeast. It's not Syracuse. It's not Syracuse. Um, and they're in the top three in 247. St. John's? Closer, Big East school. It's not Villanova. Not Villanova. Uh, Xavier's 10 right now, by the way. I'm like doing the mental calculus in my head of Big East school. Providence. No. Damn. Do you want me to just tell you? Uh, is it UConn? It is UConn. There we go. I knew it because no, I follow no escalators on Twitter. <laughs> and every time they have something good happen, that guy retweets like 15 of his own posts. UConn's I so back. UConn's back. Get the Dunkin' Donuts ready. Jim Calhoun, he's brought him back. Uh, that's uh, Hurley's doing all right. Uh, yeah, your Dan favorite. Hurley, underrated coach. See, you're all in on that Hurley, just the, the Arizona yeah, State Yeah, he, he inherited all of the good coaching genes. <laughs> Bobby has the looks, though. Oh, my God. Uh, that's true. Wait, hold on. They're, they look the exact same. What are we talking about? You don't but think... Bobby doesn't have glasses. And That's I know true. like glasses are perfectly fine. We're two Dan glasses just, wearing Dan guys looks, right now. Where are you going with this? Dan looks nerdy. That's he the does problem. look nerdy. Bobby looks like a pretty you know like suave guy. Hmm. Better hairline too, I think, which plays in his factor. Wow. In his favor. Wow. And you're wearing glasses. Like you're a context guy, right? Yes. I don't know how you do that. I, I have, they're doing that for my wedding and everything else, man. <laughs> it's over. I'll never have contacts in my eye again. Like if I am ever not wearing glasses, it's because I uh, I got myself um, LASIK, but we'll have to put me down for something like that. I don't know if I can sit there in the process. Pretty terrifying. Um, Will, what can the good folks check out from you at statsbywill.com? Anything else this week you'd like to plug? Uh, well, one, I'm making my triumphant return to writing, uh, I think, October 20th. There you go. Uh, two... Uh, I do have a stats that have caught your eye section. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is for the blog in the future, but mm-hmm. might as well drop it now because it was so interesting to me, I couldn't sit on it. Mm-hmm. So I've been working, same kind of just as the earlier stuff. I've been working on a study where I found what teams overperform their preseason Ken Palm projections with the highest regularity. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you guess what team, and it's a regional team to us, 
not only overachieved every year the last four years, but overachieved by an average of eight points per 100 possessions. This is the most in college basketball. Which team? Say that one more time. Which team overachieved the basically? Which team overachieved the most of any college basketball program versus the Ken Palm projections the last four years? And it's a regional team to us. Regional team to us. Um, Arkansas. Mid major. Oh. Murray State. It's in state. Oh, Belmont. It's Chattanooga. Formerly Chattanooga. Paris. There you go. Now here's a fun follow up. So. 16 programs underachieved every year in that same time span. So they Mm. came in under what Ken Palm had preseason. Would you like to guess which team underachieved the second most in college basketball the last four years, average of 4.19 points worse than expected? Louisville? South Carolina, which is where Lamont Paris now coaches. Uh, By the way, very interesting. We've had like a endless narrative about how good Frank Martin is. But anyway... Who's um, over at UMass now, right? Yeah, we'll see how that goes for him. Um, it's well, it's actually like probably regionally more appropriate for him. UMass should be a better job, man. Like it Marcus Camby, like UMass is. There's a lot of good players over there. Uh, UMass should be better. But I, but I was seeing this and like I don't bet, but if I did, I'd be like, mm, South Carolina's over whatever their win total is this year. I feel pretty good about that. Mm. Uh, that that's too that's too big of a uh, difference to not be like oh man they're gonna overachieve this year and be like pretty frisky i don't feel like they're gonna be any good but they have gg jackson and some interesting that's pieces so weird they're gonna be they're gonna be the team that's like they finish ninth or tenth in the sec but it just annoys you whenever you have to play them mm. they're, they're like the new Ole Miss. interesting i mean Tennessee really kicked the crap out of them last year. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. I, I think we're a good well, That was the Frank Martin. So we'll see with Lamont. Like, when was the last time Tennessee played Chattanooga? I feel like they haven't played them in a long time. The COVID time. year, 2019-20. They did? Okay. Yeah. Um, very, very boring game. <laughs> yeah, that's a... Uh, bring back Belmont. That's my main thing, is, like, get mm-hmm. Belmont uh, on the calendar every year. Also, just the Memphis stuff, like, that should just happen every year, too. Like, the fans want it. Memphis, Tennessee should happen every year in basketball. Well, there just needs to be like a state of Tennessee tournament for yes. the year, I think. There's enough talent. You could do it. MTSU, uh, you could throw in there. Um, ETSU, sometimes. Okay. Like the, yeah. you could do a little tournament in, in the state of Tennessee. Well, it's just like at minimum, Belmont and MTSU should play each mm-hmm. other every year. Like do a home and home like they do with Lipscomb. Yeah. There you go. Uh, Will, thank you as always, my friend. Go follow him on Twitter if you have not already. Stats by Will. And bookmark uh, his website as he gets ready to dive back into writing next month statsbywill.com bookmark it today uh will i will talk to you next week my friend thanks for having me on all right hello welcome back to the chasing podcast with old friend the oldest of friends david roth Hi. We're both so old now, man. I'm 66 years young. I've got mm-hmm. a lo- had a lot of work done. Uh, yeah. I guess it's obvious because there is a, a visual element to mm-hmm. this. Yeah, so these are all new cheekbones. <laughs> uh, How's your vision? Because uh, Can I tell you a funny story about my vision? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So I'm wearing glasses. I'm nearsighted. I've been nearsighted since I was like 16 years old. And it's gotten like my... I was able to get by with just needing them at night for a while and like just to see the board in class Mm -hmm. where which is everything about 
just adolescence is stupid and what kids will pick on like oh you can't see the board what a yeah. loser what are you <laughs> what yeah How is that i'd possible? love to look at what's on the what teacher writes on the board that's where i get my lessons yeah, yeah that's, like but i know it's so stupid but whatever it was you one can't of those do yeah you're self-conscious <laughs> about it and you're like this is silly why was yeah. i ever self-conscious about it and it's just as i gotten older it's gotten progressively worse and then it like there was a big jump in one of my eyes uh a year or two ago and i was like oh that's not good where i was <laughs> he was showing me the prescription and like when the optometrist is like is that you can't see that yeah. one and I'm you don't like, want to see any face acting from those yes. guys when you're doing you're in there not yeah at you're all. like oh this is this is bad and yep. then um but i've never worn contacts i tried it when i was like uh, when i was in high school you know i haven't either it's I've never horrible done it. Yeah. Did you know that it's mostly a woman a woman thing that if you look at the just who buys contacts and like how that works, it's such a small male market. Like really? the, very, very small. It's mostly women. And I asked my optometrist about this because I was like, my wife, who has perfect vision and didn't have to do this, my mom has worn contacts her entire life. Mm-hmm. And I asked, I was like, it seems like there is, but is that actually true? And he's like, oh, well, it's because women are used to just putting on like mascara and makeup and doing weird stuff with their eyes all day and moving around their eyelids and stuff to get ready in the morning. That it's just something they just add naturally to your day to day. And men are like, I'm not spending two minutes, like just doing this just draconian eye pull and stuff in this thing in my eye. I can't tell you how gratifying it is to hear this because that's always (laughs) been the reason why, especially it's like, I basically stopped playing basketball when my, eyesight got bad enough that yes. I needed to be wearing my glasses out there and I wasn't going to have them get, I had them get broken you weren't going to do the Horace Grant thing no I should have I actually <laughs> did so rec specs surprisingly mm-hmm. extremely expensive like you could basically I could have gotten like a pair of Gucci frames or I could have gotten the Chris Sabo <laughs> models like it was but it was like value neutral like $20 yeah. difference so but I what I you know I could have the the easier way there would have been to just get contact lenses yeah. and wear them for sports which is what you're supposed to do and the whole of the reason why I didn't do it is like I don't want to touch my own eyeball yes. like I don't want anything to do with these like I they're important to me I like to use them for the things I use my eyes for but like no touching of mm-hmm. any kind nothing goes in <laughs> like you know, hopefully nothing comes out like that's just those are the rules mm-hmm. and. Yeah, I mean, it is definitely, it makes sense that that would be people that, like, are used to inconveniencing themselves for, yes. like, stupid beauty standard reasons would be like, ah, this is just one other stupid thing I have to do. Right. But, like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> like, if I, I could avoid it. And he's like, yeah, men are such babies with this stuff, where he's yeah. like, I've had just, like, muscle, like, just jacked up men to, like, try to get contacts in, and it's just, like, it, pulling teeth. Like, it's one of those things. And I spent, I kid you not, an hour practicing. So my wife had a mandate. She was like look you can do the glasses no glasses whatever but for the wedding you're wearing contacts mm-hmm. and like it was this looming black cloud for the last like two months before you my wedding you'd have was... to buck up at least once and yes. touch the eye <laughs> here's what i did though and the most and all my best friends who are in the wedding were like this is the most chase thing i've ever heard where i have a good relationship with my optometrist and i spent an hour uh trying to get it in and trying to figure it out and i was like I don't trust myself on wedding day. Like this is not going to happen. Like I'm not, <laughs> this is clearly not for me. I, my eyes are red now because of this whole experience. I hate all of this. This yep. whole thing is terrible. And I was like, can I come in on my wedding day? Can, can we nice. just meet up and you just put pop these bad boys in? 
and then I'm on my way and I'm ready to go. And he was like, absolutely. So I had to, they were like, if it's a where are you going? You should. My yeah, wedding morning. get their like, makeup just... done on their wedding day. I mean, it's like, this is, yes. you should uh, treat yourself. It's your day to be a princess. Treat yourself. And that's <laughs> what I did with those contacts and put them in and they feel great. It's like, wow, what an amazing thing. And then you're like the whole pulling out process. So before we went on our honeymoon the next day, uh, he was not there because most optometrists are not open on Sundays. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I sleeping in them terrible like yeah i was i had one they, eye. they are very clear that you're not supposed to do that i know and i was like can i just invite my optometrist to the wedding just so he can get my eyes out uh, <laughs> get my contacts out at the end of it but it was it was a whole thing and i remember just the feeling and i was like we can't go on the road to the honeymoon until like i stop at an optometrist and i found one uh like on the way to Asheville, and it was it was perfect i was just like i need you to rip these bad i was like hey i'm gonna preface this this is a weird request i don't need new frames or anything like that i just need <laughs> you to uh rip these contacts out of my eyes because my eyes are burning and i'm uh i gotta go i got things do they to even do. have like a price schedule for that like is it the sort of they like what do you charge just be like just touch my eyes and just very briefly there's a thing in them yes you know what it is i think they're is more like concerned 20 about like the uh legal ramifications yes. of messing up my eye by yeah. doing the process and i was like i'll sign whatever like if you bl- <laughs> if you blind me i'm okay with the the consequences here because i just need these out whatever yeah. you gotta do because i don't that, i'm not gonna get, get them out myself but it was, i feel like that's definitely like contact lenses are for people who especially like in my 20s would have been like i was not responsible enough to have mm-hmm. this because I could have, I would have been the person that like left him in for like five days. Because I was 1, like, I was busy. Oh, like yeah, just that's stupid. What? Like we're at the bar and you're, they're just like, what's going on? Like your eyes are like dripping. Like there's red. Like when was the last time you took your kind? You're like, oh, contacts. That's right. right. Those I have been those, in those. for a while. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Not. <laughs> it's no. not for me. And my mom has this whole process. I've always seen her growing, like just growing up. That's what she did, like her thing. And it was just organized and well-planned. And I was like, no, that's never going to be me. That's never going to happen. Maybe one day I'll get LASIK or something. But even for LASIK, I think you might need to like put me under because I don't know if I can do the whole laser. Because that was a mistake. Looking at what they actually do is uh is a mistake david yes. i don't know if you've seen the process no, and I've... like the big gadgets and stuff and you're like oh this is terrifying it's like a james bond yes. villain scenario <laughs> like you're definitely like they're like i i expect you to die you know mm-hmm. and you're like okay well i'll see you in half an hour when you're done fixing my <laughs> eyesight but it is very like yeah I, again i think that this is the lowest amount of intervention that you can do basically like mm-hmm. just to get me back to normal my sight isn't bad it, you know it gets worse I go like, you know, half a prescription down every couple of years or whenever I need mm-hmm. to get stuff like replaced. I can see okay without them. Uh, can you not drive? Great. Uh, I wouldn't drive without them, no. Okay. Not at this point. I mean, I can drive in the sense that like the broad strokes are there, but like reading a sign or something like that, mm-hmm. I'd have to be real close to it. And the It's weird though that you said that like when you realized that you needed glasses, because I remember I didn't get mine until I was a senior in college, I think. Oh, wow. And it was, and I definitely needed them before then, but it would mm-hmm. be like, I would get to class late and then would just, I remember saying this to a friend once. I was like, I get that. It's stupid that I get there late. I get to everything late, but like you get there late in the big classrooms and like, you can't even see what, what they're writing on the board. Mm-hmm. And he was like, no, you can see it. Like, <laughs> like it's definitely like anyone can see it. Like, I think that this might be a you problem. It wasn't even that big a classroom, and I was like, oh, like, so not everybody is, like, struggling if they're not in the first five rows to, like, <laughs> read something that a guy is writing in chalk consciously as big as he can write it. 
This is such a guy thing too. Like that is <laughs> the most guy thing, thing ever. It's like, man, it sucks getting to class late where you can't see the board because I got in there late and I'm too far up. And they're like, nope, we can all see it pretty yeah. far up. And it would just never occur to me that it wasn't supposed to be that way. Mm. That is very like, I mean, that's been like a running thing on the <laughs> the distraction podcast with Drew is that both of us sort of are like in awe of what disgusting idiots our younger selves were that he was like yes i had a foreman grill i used it to cook dinner every night like <laughs> i needed but like, <laughs> like until i had like a serious girlfriend i didn't know you were supposed to clean it i thought it just cleaned itself <laughs> and it was just like so gnarly to imagine like that version of him like 25 year old drew bear just <laughs> hammering some chicken thighs in that thing all the fat runs off and he's like done perfect do it again tomorrow <laughs> I, um, do you know, in my freshman year of, uh, of college, I'd forgotten about this story, but I had somehow in my suburban Atlanta life, uh, growing up, I had never actually used blinds. Like there was never, <laughs> <laughs> I just had never used them. Like it was Would never you just, like s- hammer a towel over the window or something like what was going on? My room. So we had this spinner. Um, how can I frame this? I lived in like one house for 18 years mm-hmm. and like my room was the only one I really would mess with, but it had like, um, I don't know how to explain it. It's like a little stick and it mm-hmm. literally just twirled up and down. That's all I would do every day. I just twirled the stick. If I wanted to open my blinds and I'd twirl it the other way, if I didn't, okay. those weren't a thing in college. So I went in my, and I remember like just staring at my blinds and just being intimidated by like what I'm supposed to do. Cause I was like, I don't know. This is really embarrassing. I need to ask someone how to use the blinds. So I remember yeah. I called my best friend. I was like, Hey, I need your help. And he came over, he's like, what's going on? And I was like, I don't know how to open my blinds. And he had to show me how to like the whole up and down and like this whole thing. Had no idea. That's Never really, done. I think that's a beautiful story for a bunch of reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, just on the merits, uh, no notes. Very funny thing to not know how to operate. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but I like the the bro care element where you like mm-hmm. called somebody you trusted and you're like, I forgot how to tie my shoes, dude. And he's like, yes. all right, I'll be right over. Like to show you how to like put the choo-choo through the tunnel and pull it tight. These stories can't happen anymore, though, because everyone's documenting everything. So this Mm. is, like, right before, like, the Instagram's just for pictures and Snapchat's not a thing. So there's no video of my friend just recording me in my my dorm room being like, look at this dork not knowing how to do... Last moments of anonymity. I I also feel like you picked a tough one because that's, like, one of those things where as much as there is on youtube mm-hmm. i think there's probably not a how to use blinds instructional video on there that that's like one that they just <laughs> they haven't gotten to making that one yet yeah. like no one thought of it yeah well but, there you go they- and there's no way of knowing if they're good or not like there's the a video to which i return often is mm. uh have you seen the video of that woman making an old-fashioned that involves like <laughs> emptying like half a bottle yes. of jim beam into a pint glass yes. with <laughs> some ice cubes <laughs> Like, just because it's an instructional yeah. video does not mean you should follow those instructions. Like, mm-hmm. sometimes But there's a... so many people that do, though. You know, know that so many people watch that and we're like, I guess that's what we're supposed to do. That's that's how it works. I think it would be hilarious to make that drink. Make yourself just a 12-ounce <laughs> old-fashioned. <laughs> it's got a bunch of, like, two orange wedges. Uh, yeah, 16 ounces <laughs> of straight bourbon whiskey. Oh, my God. I... I don't even know. Like, I guess the other thing, too, is just, like, cleaning your laptop where you're like, I didn't know you could clean it. I just thought it, it once it got dirty enough and nasty enough, throw it away. Yeah, it stopped working. Work. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot. I mean, college was great for that, too, mm-hmm. just because you were confronting, like, the limits of, like, how babied you were. And there was always yeah. somebody that, like, 
had it weirder. Like I had a guy on my floor that had never cut his own toenails. He was from a foreign country. His grandma had done it. That okay. was just how his family did it. And like no one walked him through it, but they were like, it's just like cutting your fingernails, but a little bit harder and uh-huh. you got to you got to lean over and use, you know, they're on your feet, of course. Mm. But then there was still stuff for me that like, like I had done laundry, yeah. but I had only done laundry like in the machines in my parents' basement. And so right. you go to like these like coin op things and they're all big. And I was like, where I have to like, I was really into cleaning the lint trap as a kid. <laughs> that was a real like, you're just like terrified of burning down the, the yes, building. Yes, exactly. Mm. Like I was like, this is not going to be my fault because I'm like mm. washing my like, circle logo the game hats over and over again you know and in this case like yeah it was all these like industrial machines like i was like the caveman in 2001 Mm -hmm. just like banging a stick on the side of it trying to get it to do what i needed it to do incredible well now look at us high functioning adults married uh, married doing podcast mics I mean, podcast this is, mics it could happen to you anybody that's listening or watching eventually I'm, you like could i get learn comments to... i'm still like they're like what is that hair all over your mic i have a floof dog like i have a Keyshawn mm-hmm. that just sheds she's asleep right behind me right now mm-hmm. i will clean this and this will be full of her hair yeah. by the next day it's just hey when you have a floof dog it's over like i've i've given up like yeah i mean it's good. everywhere Good content, I'm assuming. Like, you got a, a yeah. cute animal to photograph and stuff like that. I do. That. Like, the wedding photos of her, we got her coming in at the end, like, running down to see us. There's some... She's a very uh, very uh, front-facing member of our family. She's all about good. it. Being able yeah. to... Uh, that's, like... And also respect you for getting it together enough to have, like, a dog when you got married. Yes. I know a lot of people that, like, that wasn't... They weren't at that stage in their life until... Like, you get married first, then you're like, okay, I can do a couple mm-hmm. of basic things maybe now I can have a more involved pet. Yeah. Like, I've had a turtle for 20-odd years, but that's a very low-impact pet. What is his name or her name? Uh, Marvin is the surviving one. There was uh, another turtle passed over the winter, um, Mm. which was sad, but it's like... Were they siblings? I don't know. So I bought them out of, like, a drywall bucket on Canal Street in Chinatown in New York. Uh They were just selling... You could get two of them and a little plastic container and some food for twenty dollars this was probably like 2002 uh-huh. and i uh it was a total impulse buy like just me i'd like met friends for lunch down there and i was like oh these guys look cute and i brought them home and then like later in the game yeah i learned that turtles live for like 40 years <laughs> <laughs> so i have i am pot committed to these dudes the one george who died in december was like at least 20 <laughs> you know like he had a good long life yeah and yeah, like as far as I know, forty years. Yeah, so I took uh, Marvin to the the vet recently, and the doctor mm. was like, you know, he's not going to live another twenty years. He's going to live at least another ten. So that's like a thirty year lifespan. He's and yeah. he's healthy. That's just how it is. There's a a pond in Central Park in Manhattan yeah. that is full of just this type of turtle, and I'm sure because they're not like native to mm. here, but I think it is like the result of people that got them on an, a whim. And then either they were like moving into a no turtles co-op or just were like, I did not sign up for 25 more years. Like everyone does the Googling after getting the turtle. Yes. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, so this will outlive me. That's cool. I'll just put that in my will so that. Who gets the turtle? Yeah. Um, That's amazing. What kind of turtle is it? It's a red-eared slider, which is like a real common uh, 
one of their the real charming traits that they have is that they're covered in salmonella. So every time I touch them, I have to wash my hands. Oh my god! Even yeah. if it's like in your house, like they still just carry it, even if it like isn't going yeah, anywhere it's else. It's like naturally occurring. They're just well. I mean, I don't know if it is exactly salmonella. It's basically like it will have the same effect on you. Like you have to be very careful with it. Wow. But yeah, they're they're dumb creatures. Uh, mm. The reason I took him to the vet was that uh, he had gotten a tummy ache and had barfed up like 40 pebbles that he had eaten when i had pebbles in the tank like 15 years ago i haven't had them in there in a long time and the vet was like yeah they do that they'll eat anything that's around they're fine that's wild yeah they're completely unreasonable creatures but uh a lot easier to handle than a floof dog i never have to clean anything up except for the tank every month or so there you go um it's funny my the first thing i caught actually as a kid growing up in atlanta was a snapping turtle those are um, scary, though. Those are scary. They'll mess you up. Snapping turtles, and, like, they obviously broke the line. Um, but, like, you're pulling it out, and it's just the the mouth of a snapping yeah. turtle up close is wild. And it yep. wasn't just in a random uh, pond in Tequila, which means nothing to you, David, but just but, uh, more in the country of Atlanta. And it was, it was wild. Like, snapping turtles are huge and terrifying, but yes. also... Yeah, I don't know. And they will show up. Play. I remember there was there was a rumor of one being in the like sort of town like pool swimming holy type thing that we had where I grew up. Uh-huh. And it was you know it was like managed by the town. It probably wasn't there, but there was like an island in it, and everybody was like, "Do not go there. There's a snapping turtle there. Like it'll mm. like I heard it killed a kid. You know, just but they're they're hideous. <laughs> probably not. You know, yeah. Like yeah, if, even before you could like look things up online, it was like very mm. clear. You see like a picture of it, you're like, this is not. A situation that you want to mess around with at all yeah um well uh we do have some other stuff to us i was gonna say this has just been pet chat you want to talk about some of the stuff that you talk about on the podcast no i mean pet chat's good we're very pro pet on this podcast um what are you reading right now david what have uh what have you found yourself i am reading so i just finished reading a couple of books sports books for this Mm -hmm. reading series i do with with Patrick Sauer. So they were good. I read Ben Mathis Lilly's book about um, Michigan football uh, and uh, called The Hot Seat and then uh, Jason Reed's book called The Rise of the Black Quarterback because we, mm-hmm. we did like an event with them. So now I'm back to like reading the actual, you know, books that I read that aren't about sports. I had mm-hmm. started one uh, called Entangled Life. Hmm. It's about mushrooms and okay. uh, like just sort of like the way that they work. It's incredible. It's very dense. It might be the sort of thing where I have to like put it down to read whatever the next sports book is at mm. some point, but it is brilliantly written and they're the most amazing creatures on earth. Like I can't believe that mushrooms and like in general that like fungi are, are real. You and my wife uh, would be best yeah. friends, David. She yeah. like whenever we're walking around, she stops immediately when she sees a fairy circle or anything mushroom related. Very yeah. into mushrooms. Is she on the? Is she like at that level where she's comfortable picking them and cooking them, or is it? So my wife, um, God bless her for a billion reasons, but she's like very trusting with just nature and whatever mm-hmm. she sees out there. So like, if <laughs> there are risks pull... to this. Yeah, no risks. Where she will eat any berry off any tree, like no matter mm-hmm. where we're at. I'm like, oh, raspberry, <laughs> and I'm like, ah, yeah, eh, can't do it. Let's we'll see uh, what happens. Yeah. yeah. She's a free spirit, and one of the reasons I love her is I am not that way whatsoever, where I'm just like, that'll kill you. That yeah. that right there is uh, pesticides and everything else, where I'm like, nope, don't trust it. Don't yep. don't trust it. But she's like, yeah, if I, I mean, I'm certain if the mushrooms that we see were not in people's yards, 
by and large, she yeah. would rip them out and be like, yeah, it's fine. It's just a mushroom. So I have a couple of coworkers that are like, they're capable. They've like done whatever, the 10,000 mm. hours of like identifying. They know stuff. And so they're confident doing it. Like Giddy Nathan and Patrick Redford from Defector will both mm. like go What's up, find YouTubers? mushrooms. I missed that yeah, they, yes, he brings that energy to finding mm. like morels, you know, mm-hmm. in the woods. And that's cool. Like, I love eating mushrooms. I like cooking with them. Like, and I like the idea of getting them for free. That sounds tight. Yeah. But there's just, I, there's so much I don't know that I have never. It'd be I, such I a would dumb way to die. Them. It is. The super, it, and you're in pain the whole time. And so the mm. whole time you're doing it, you're like, this is all my fault. It's all because I didn't want to go pay about... for a mushroom at the supermarket. It's one of those Nick Swartzen from like 17, 18 years ago had a bit where he was like uh dying from poisoning yourself is just the most embarrassing way to go out because he's like did you ever happen to nick what he was poisoned oh my god by who <laughs> nick <laughs> <laughs> yeah you never want to go out yeah. playing a prank on mm-hmm. yourself that should not be a cause of death you That's gotta rough, do better man. than that yep um there you go do you read are you, do you find yourself because like i balance like my daily reading I, I try and go back and forth and i try like i think i found for me like talking about sports for a living and reading and writing about sports that like reading nonfiction sports books are hard yeah. um i because i think i identify more with novel like i just uh finished up how lucky uh will's book oh yeah uh, it's supposed to be so great. good yeah, we had so him on the good. podcast to talk about it. Drew read it and loved mm. it. I have not read it, but it's very good and it's an mm. easy read. Like Will's writing is very easy to read. Like he's he's got one of those things that I feel like if you're not a writer, you might miss. But he has the short sentence mastery yep. that is so difficult to come by because I am an M dash lover. I am a. Same, it's so hard yeah. to shorten and like to really uh, craft your sentences in a way that just hit one like. It, it's a it's a special talent that he has that I, really I, I wish it. I had. I envy it because I don't have it, but it right. is also like, it's that, you know, there's something to this. I think that like, depending on who you read, when you're mm-hmm. like figuring out how you want to write, you know, you sort of, for me anyway, that like, I just assimilated all of the different things that I liked from the writers that were important to me when I was mm-hmm. young. And then I've just been mushing them together in different formations and adding new writers on top of it ever since. But what that winds up with because I'm also an M dash boy is Mm. like this kind of like impacted, you know, you can wind up with like very long, very show offy sentences where like, and I do my best to, to keep that in check, Mm. but the writers where you like, don't really even notice them writing where it's just the sort of thing where it like everything sort of goes down the way it's supposed to. There's no, you know, like sort of like extra pyrotechnics that like that, I don't know. It speaks to like a, a pretty enlightened, I think, way of, of thinking about it too, because mm-hmm. you're just like, you're just telling the story. You're not making yourself a part of it, which I have, you know, when I read the blogs that I'm really having a hard time writing, you know, I, I can still kind of force it out, get it on mm-hmm. the website because that's like part of the job. But they feel overworked in a way that like when I'm right and when I'm feeling good about what I'm writing, like it's never easy, easy for me. Like I, like just have a hard time focusing on stuff to a certain extent but you can see when i'm forcing it and i think Hmm. like you can definitely tell with will i think it's always been the case i mean with his writing like whether it's movies or or sports or whatever that like when he's right it's just like you know one long finished thought presented Mm -hmm. ably like it's a great thing to be able to do yeah 
I find I, I, to hard, your point about man. nonfiction sports books too. Like I, yeah. I wouldn't be reading them. I don't think as much if it wasn't for the uh, for the obligation to do the yeah. the bit with with Patrick. And it's good in some ways. It's like I've read some really interesting books that way. Um, and you know, and I get them you know mailed to my home, so that's yeah. nice. But yeah, like I feel like I get a lot of sports in the monitors every day as it is, and right. Like so, the idea of even when I'm interested in stuff like this, I read Howard Bryant's book about Ricky Henderson. And it's great. Mm-hmm. And I was fascinated by Ricky Henderson as a kid. Like, and he's played for so long that, you know, like I cheered for him, you know, as an adult too, like mm-hmm. when he was with the Mets and I was in my twenties. And even there is a terrific book and it's got a lot of really interesting, like it's sort of the first third of it is basically like a history of the great migration mm-hmm. as told through like Oakland high school sports of the like 50s, 60s and 70s. Mm. it's terrific it's like really interesting stuff and yet if left to my own devices i would just read a novel like Same. all the time because that's like the sort of vacation i'm trying to get from reading is like you get that more from from fiction than from anything else yeah i think that's because i i'm right there with you because if I'm, I'm my bookshelf is all right here and i mean i'm looking at it right now i would say it's probably 70 percent novels and then probably like 20 percent political nonfiction yeah. and then 10 percent uh sports nonfiction. i just it's just not and it I, I wonder if it's for other people like people who are accountants or whatever for their day jobs they're like oh an awesome sports thing that i can spend a lot of time jumping into because i don't have the time to jump into this yeah um it's like some cocktail chatter for me that i can just talk about this new sports book that i read and like oh this is cool do you know about this about this person and blah blah, blah. and it's oh. like that's not me whatsoever like books are my escape because i spend so much of my day like i have to read like you said on the monitors like we have to spend so much time on pff and football outsiders and espn plus and everything else that you're like that's just so much of my day that's not what i want to do when i'm on the couch i'm always really like wary of complaining too much about that because it's like once it became clear that i wasn't going to be a professional athlete when Mm. i was like 12 or 10 or younger Mm -hmm. it was like if the second best thing was like yeah you're just gonna like think about baseball all the time and write Mm -hmm. about it whenever you feel like it that sounds great like that is really good that's better Mm -hmm. than like i'm happier doing that than i would be like having a real job that contributed something to society you know Mm -hmm. for instance and yet like there is this element of it where it's like even if it's something that you care about even if you'd be on pff that many hours every day at your regular job just because like you want to know more about you're out, Justin you're Herbert. Quite you want to know everything about Justin mm-hmm. Herbert or whatever. It, there's still the the challenge of like then have like feeling like you're obligated to do it. Mm-hmm. Really, just like changes the the whole valence of it, the vibe of it. If you wrote a book, do you think you would do a novel? Would you follow the the Drew and Will path? <laughs> I mean, I wrote a novel when I was in my 20s, and it didn't work. Uh, Why didn't it work? Because I wasn't a good writer yet. Mm. I mean, also, it like I wrote it. I mean, I finished it. Um, yeah, I had an agent who tried to sell it, and it, maybe it would be different now because I have like Twitter followers. You know, at the time, mm-hmm. it's like there wasn't even any of that, so there was no way to. I was just another, you know, butthead trying to write a novel about being sad. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a, you know, those are abundant and of low value. I would, I would love to write a novel. I think if I had to you know, write a book period. I think it would be easier to do like a collection of essays or whatever, but I've never mm-hmm. really gotten it together to even try to do that. I mean, I think some of it is that like the, the process of writing like helps me 
figure the world out from one moment mm-hmm. to the next. And so I really am like in that way, habitually like a blogger, like yeah. it's just like, as I take things as they come in that way and I process them and some of the more involved stuff I do, it's like, you know, you read, like if you're going to write stuff about like Brett Favre and this whole thing in Mississippi, like you're going to read like two years worth of reporting from Mississippi today. It's not yeah. the sort of thing where you like read a blog, react, read and react. And yet like, even that is like, it's a discrete process, you know, like mm-hmm. you sort of know when you're done. And maybe I'm like putting books on a pedestal or, or maybe I'm letting myself off the hook on like doing some actual harder work. But that feels like so much more open-ended a process that I've always found it really intimidating just to think about. Hmm. The thing that you can say for Will and Drew that they have in common, they're very different writers in their yeah. way, is that both of those guys also just sit down and bang stuff out. Mm-hmm. Like Drew's a machine. Like he <laughs> writes thousands of words a week. Mm-hmm. And like, and he's very, you know, for a guy that writes all the time about like goofy stuff, like he is very orderly in his approach. You know, mm-hmm. like he like gets up at a certain time, does this, you know, he's got kids and stuff. So some of it is like sort of thrust upon him, but he breaks his day down into that. Whereas like I spend half the day just like sitting in some weird position on the couch, like (laughs) thinking about something, like maybe I write something that day, maybe I don't, but it's like, Mm -hmm. and that's, you know, I would need to whip myself into shape to a certain extent to, I think, even be able to think about doing a book just because Maybe Drew could just drop off one of his kids uh, <laughs> at Uncle Get my David's day started for four hours yeah. earlier. Yeah, mm-hmm. because they're like, somebody needs to make me a sandwich for school. And I'd be like, sounds <laughs> terrible, man. Sounds terrible for you. <laughs> oh, my God. I am not prepared for any of that in my life. But it, it is true. Like, it, You just got married, man. Give it, don't worry about it yet. You got plenty of time to enjoy this stuff. I enjoyed that part of the uh, being married so much that we just kept doing it. Yeah. And uh, didn't have kids. So, like, look at us It's amazing, though, how... uh, I didn't realize this until I got married, but, I mean, even with the engagement party and stuff like that, so I got to be careful with how I frame this, but the uh, unsolicited advice um, (laughs) that comes your way uh, very quickly is insane. Like, in just the... Now, you're going to have three, or you should have two, or you're going to do this, and you're going to love this, and you're not going to like this, and it's... Like, are you, like, playing fantasy football with my life right now? Like, come on, man. (laughs) I hated that stuff so much. You seem like a two-kid family. Like, that. what are you talking about? Like, you're profiling because of my skull shape? Like, are you profiling (laughs) me right now? Like, yeah, it's It's weird. weird. But everybody, especially, too, like, once you, like, sort of, like, start those, like, outward markers of, like, who you are i mean it's obviously if you're like wearing a kid around then everybody's gonna mm. be like can i feed him can i can i name him you know like just yeah. even, like get in the way but just like having a wedding ring on like especially you're still like in this because you it's been a matter of what weeks? it has been uh 12 days jeez yeah so you're still in the <laughs> stage where it's like every now and then you're like what the what is this like yeah. on my hand i remember the this was like if you read it in a short story, you would think it was too on the nose, but it kept happening to me. Mm. Made me change how I would be. I would take, you know, take the subway to work. Mm. And the way I used to do it was I'd hold a book, my right hand, and hold the sort of the bar when you're standing up so you don't fall down in the other. And, mm. you know, left hand has the wedding ring on it. And yeah. so for like a week, I would do that and reach up, you know, just the way with no thinking, the way I'd done it for 10 years living in New York before that, and just get the loudest metal on metal, like, from like just driving my ring into the thing yeah and it was like every time i was startled and finally i so i've changed it up now now i'm a right hand uh, pole holder and mm. <laughs> left hand book guy but it was like 
once you get to the point in this process where you're, it doesn't feel weird that it's on your hand, like you are mm. on the glide path. There you go. At this point, I, after 12 days after being married, I was mostly just proud of myself that I'd gotten through the wedding okay. Same. And that's, that's a lot, like, And that's real, though. I think that's reasonable. I mean, you could experience this, or it can identify with this, too. It's just that, like, I've never been that tired yep. um, at my wedding night. Like, I've never been that tired. And You're it's a different kind of tired. you alert the whole time, too. You're trying to, like... But you have to talk to everybody. You're so, and you do so many emotional conversations, yeah. and it's so draining yeah. <laughs> because you're just really given a lot uh, yep. all day long. And you are, it's a different kind of tired that I could not begin to describe to people. Where like that Sunday morning, we woke up and we're like, okay, that's over. Like yeah. I, it's just, it's a whole thing. We had a great time at ours, but I remember yeah. my friend. Joel, I remember after he got married, a little bit older than me, got married earlier. And I remember before mine, I was like, so what What was it like? Like, how did you feel when it was over? Mm. So I was already looking forward to that part. Like, the party was great, but I was just looking forward to, like, getting back to normal. Same. And he said that it was like, it felt like he had survived a gunfight. Yeah. And I was like, that's a bit much, you know? Like, And yet, like, I do remember that, that feeling of exhaustion because there's mm. something so dreamlike about being at your own wedding and it's like not everybody that you care about is there but Mm. a very much higher percentage of the people in your life that you care about are in one room Mm -hmm. with you like much higher than will ever be in that room with you again probably for the rest of your life there's something really dreamlike and weird about that about like you can just look around and recognize every face mm. and everybody means something to you, you know. And they'll never all be in one place. Like right. And like, again. you know, you'll continue to see them. You'll continue mm. to care about them. But like there will never be an opportunity for like the parents of my elementary school friends mm-hmm. to meet uh, like my uncle. Yeah. Like people that I went to college with, you know, like, but you know, that's, I'm, I hope they all like enjoyed the buffet the one time that they all got to party together. Yeah. It's like where i landed on it i mean we had the i think we had a lot of crossover there in our experiences and you know it's uh it's nice like you i was just it, you when you're done with it but like that week of man that it's tense because yeah. you're just hoping everything goes on. i remember i was just telling people i'm like i this is why i broke my foot david is because i it was a pre-wedding thing it was a pre-wedding thing oh, so no. i did the whole wedding with no uh nothing on my foot or oh, i had boy. to power through that day where it's your flu game it was my flu game um michael speaking of flu game michael jordan broke the exact same thing i did in 1985 wow. uh, navicular stress fracture and his third metatarsal did you break it doing the same stuff uh, uh dunk, basically dunking on Moses Malone. yeah um uh, <laughs> no i have been a runner for 16 years and that apparently takes a toll when you enter yeah. your 30s and i've never broken a bone ever but i was running a lot that week uh like i was upping my time yeah um because i was stressed man like yeah. with grad school with the wedding with everything else i was just like that's my happy place that's what i do uh to clear my head and to kind of you know uh get through the day and i was on mile three and i was uh i don't know if you knew this or not but knoxville tennessee rocky uh, yeah it's a little that. rocky one of the Very things healing. you know yep. yeah yeah and it's very hard on your your body. Uh, very different than when I was running the streets of Atlanta. I'll say that. And I just took a hard step off the uh, off the sidewalk on one of my streets, and I just put so much stress on the top of my foot, and I heard it pop. Like I had 
noise canceling headphones on and i still heard it which terrified me to no end because oh, if boy. they heard if i heard it through that then my pop must have like been... somebody walking by on the street heard it then like yeah it would have been like that's disgusting um <sighs> what just happened there and i just it, it was rough so i stayed off it wednesday and thursday and then friday was still mostly off it icing it and all that kind of stuff and i got an x-ray and they're like that's when they found out like there was that and i was they were like you can't really do more damage to it over the wedding like it's just it's kind of already broken and it's like the whole thing too it's like the uh now canceled uh certain comedian who had this bit where it's very true when you get to a certain age and you're not an athlete and you're they're just like oh it's just shitty now when you yep. just tear something or you mess it's like Ozzy Albies like tore his foot like the broke his foot the same way and he uh had immediate surgery and he's back and he's rehabbing hard and then yeah. he's just back to normal they don't do that with normal citizens uh when you, br- you break your foot it's a very different experience right. where they're like you're gonna be in a boot and we'll see what happens like, there's but... no circumstances under which they're gonna be like Mr. Roth we recommend Tommy John surgery yeah. <laughs> like, we, we're gonna get you to Neil Ella trash right away like yeah. no they'd just be like you're not gonna ever throw good again which yes. is fine that's a hundred percent what they were were you throwing it. well before <laughs> yeah. you know it's just like yeah that element of it I'd you're just so... gonna be in pain and you're yep. gonna just see how much you can withstand but uh your foot might not be the Did same you get and I to... A yeah. point in the wedding where you were able to enjoy yourself. I hope that you Oh, did. yeah. All right, good. But I will say, the end I of the night. I was stressed as hell beforehand, but it was that there's some point where you realize that nothing you do is going to change what's going to happen, that it's just in, in God's hands. It's in yeah. a matter of gravity, whatever you want to call it. At that yeah. point, you're just sort of like, all right, well, now it's a party and I can like have a beer and do what I need to do. Well, that's the other part. You just take your mind off it. That's the big part of it is like, I was not thinking about my foot. So there's part of the endorphins and, uh, that you're just, you're not aware of what's going on really. And then at the end of the night though. So that's when you crash and realize, Oh my God. Like the pain was immeasurable at the end of the night. But I will say this was something that scared me because I got really mad at the photographers, uh, where I was, they think I, they probably still think I was joking, but I was so mad because they asked me to dip my wife as we're going through the sparklers and the end for the photos. I get all that. The problem with dipping is you have to put all of your weight on my broken foot, like oh, not man. my weight, but also my wife's weight to just do that. Like it, that excess that I could not do. Like that was one thing I told her. Like I cannot do that. I'm sorry, but like there's no way I'm going to be able to handle that. What would? And, did they have a counter argument? They were like, "No, we always take these photos." Well, you no, it was just in it. the moment. So everyone's like, "Yeah, Dipper." So everyone at my wedding is just like in on it. So I have no <laughs> choice to try, but to try because everyone's staring at me to do this thing. So I knew, like, I was mad because I was like, "I'm in a like I'm backed into a corner here. I've got to yeah. at least attempt it in the moment." I, when I tell you, like, I've never screamed internally more than when I got halfway down and I was like, nope. And I, like, hopped around and I was like, we're going back to the cabin. We're done. Like, this is the end of the wedding. I, yep. I can't do anymore. I almost just fractured my foot worse and I'm going to lose my foot if we stay at this wedding any longer. So we need to go. You got it. That's a matter of priorities. Like, yeah. it's important to be married. It's important to get good photos. Uh, you're going to yes. need that foot for, like, pretty much the rest of your life. Yes. So I'm in the boot until halloween and we're gonna see what happens but i mean like i said like they if they were like oh we need surgery i'm like yeah great not doing it i'm not putting bolts in my foot and just doing this for six months i'm just not gonna have a great foot uh my left foot anymore yeah i bet it'll get from what i remember with stress fractures i had them when i was in cross country or had well like shin splints or whatever basically that and that it is like the junior varsity version of that 
And mm. like, you know, some rest will do you a lot of good. And I know yeah. you're, I mean, if you've been running for that long, then you don't need me to tell you that uh, there's probably a sneaker related solution that someone is going to recommend. I have no idea if any I'm of terrified to run not, though. But... Apparently like when you do this, like you're 20 to 30% more likely to break the same foot in the same year. Yeah. So like, I don't know if I'm going to like getting through that roadblock. I'm just going to be a swimmer. I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, I was going to say everybody just, I know that I'm transitioning the... to swimming. I'm the old guy at the pool now just doing my laps. Uh, my friends that were running freaks like that all mm. wound up having to become swimmers too. For them, it's yeah. like usually the back, but it's the same deal. Like it's just, it's hard in your not body. Something the body's built to do that much. My sister and her husband are both training for the marathon again, and they're doing great, but it's mm. like there's so much less margin for error at this point. And so mm. they both had like injuries that knocked them out of training for like, you know, you could lose a week. And it's like that. Yeah. the way that marathon training is, it's like you kind of can't get that back if it happens close enough to the thing. But I'll be there to see. And we live like a half block from the course. So the New York City Marathon is always a big deal for us. We when like is to, it? It's, uh november i want to say the first okay. or second sunday in november i don't remember which one okay. but it's always cool it's like a big sort of positive vibe party thing you know it's like little kids high-fiving strangers and stuff so stuff that you like to see yeah and then it goes back to being new york instantly as soon as it's <laughs> over. uh the mets though we yeah. end on this David. all right what we're mortal them? enemies yeah this weekend because our two teams that are exactly as good as each other are going yes. to play each other Apparently I'm... not in the middle of a bunch of uh, Hurricane Ian weather, though, so that's nice. Very excited for that, because if that yeah. had been moved, like, that's a disaster for Major League Baseball, if they have to yeah. move that, because you know both fan bases and you, and just teams in general, no matter how the series went, would have been like, doesn't count, this is right. BS, and it shouldn't have gone this way, so I'm there glad was, we're going to... all the options, I remember seeing that yesterday with the proposals, it was like, they mm. didn't even mention a neutral site, I yeah. mean, because they knew everybody would freak out, mm-hmm. but all the other ones were like, they'll just play a doubleheader the day before the wild card game, it's like, no, <laughs> like, that's no. all so bad, there's no yeah. options, like... I'm glad it's going to, it looks like the weather's going to be good. I have made my peace uh, with whatever outcome there is because, like, the Mets are good. They brought me a lot of joy this year. Like, it's Mm -hmm. been a minute since I could have said that and meant it. And, like, I don't know how, you know, obviously, if you were to take the two competitive windows that the two teams have, like, I'd for sure rather be the Braves. I just think Mm. they've got, like, it's different. You know, the Mets did about as much as you can do just by spending money. Uh, and they took a team that was actively bad last year and they made it into a really good one this year. And a lot of that is just getting offseason transactions, right? Like, and I wouldn't expect to like hail Billy Epler's genius again that many times in the future, but like I, I had some thoughts about the trade deadline, not being exactly what I wanted, but Mm-hmm. They improve their roster a lot. They're good. They're also older, more expensive, and they're on the clock in a way that the Braves aren't. But, you know, they're two really good teams. Like, if you tell me last year at this time that the Mets would be exactly as good as the Braves and the Braves hadn't even won the World Series yet, I'd be like, hell yeah, let's let's do it. And now mm-hmm. they're like, you know, whatever. I think they are... I think the Braves and the Mets are both about as good as each other. I think nobody is as good as the Dodgers, and I think the Dodgers are maybe like 10% better than anyone else. But the fun part of October is it doesn't matter. Yeah, the Braves were not the best team in baseball last year. No. you know, and but they got hot at the right time. Yep, and that's always cool when that happens. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's annoying when it happens to you, mm-hmm. but it is the sort of thing where, yeah, like that's 100% a thing that can work. Not just because October is random and baseball's stupid either. It's like 
this is it. Like this is yeah. like that's the way that the game works. Like it's not just a function of it being a five game series or a seven game series or you know whatever bullpens being used differently. Like if you like luck into having Jorge Soler abruptly turn into Willie Mays for like mm-hmm. a month, like great. Yeah, there you are. I, how are you feeling about the Braves? I guess is the question that I would ask. Can I tell you the worst thing about me being a fan was mm-hmm. last year? And I wonder if you experienced this a little bit. Baseball in uh, October, like already football season's going on. The NBA's back in less than a month as well. So this mm-hmm. is like go time. Like all, everything's back and you have to be very careful with how you prioritize your, your sports watching and like what you watch and everything. Those games every single night, four hours of just intense like i have to sit on the couch and i'm like shaking just seeing how it's going night overnight while also just having this avalanche of other sports content to watch was exhausting like a deep playoff run for your team (laughs) is so exhausting that part of me is like am i up for this again am i up for another deep race playoff run because the games go longer they're way more intense way more uh, just emotionally feel like bad when they lose in a way that like for the regular season this year like once it yeah. became clear that the Mets were good I was like fine I'll have my fun right but like I'm not gonna I don't need to see every inning I don't need to like forensically go over everything mm-hmm. like they're fine I'll come back you know like we're gonna be fine up. in October like we're just gonna be there like we just check in and we do our thing but they're fine yeah but like that doesn't get you prepared emotionally no. for like the heavy lifting of that. It's the last time the Mets made a deep playoff run was 2015. I covered that. I mm-hmm. was at just at home, but I was at all city field for all the games in the NLCS and the world series. And mm-hmm. I was a fucking mess. <laughs> exactly. Like, I just couldn't hack it. And it, I had never really been in like a press box for a game I cared about before. You know, I'd been like here and there of different games, different credentials and like, you know, you show up, you take your notes, you go interview a guy, and you, you're done. And mm-hmm. for this one, it was like, because I cared and because I had really, I think, thought that the Mets would never make the World Series again, as long as they were owned by the Wilpons, mm-hmm. that, like, I'd be there, you know, white-knuckling it, trying not to be an ass in front of, like, Pedro Gomez or any of the few guys that were in the press box that I, like, recognized and respected mm-hmm. and didn't want to have them be like, this is why that I will butthead never be started crying when Daniel Murphy made an error or whatever, you know, like... But I would go out every game. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, had my computer, did the, you know, got set up, do the things you got to do. Mm-hmm. And then at, for one inning, I would go out, I'd buy one beer and I would just power walk around the stadium <laughs> and drink that beer and yell. And like, mm-hmm. if like a stranger wanted to high five me because like Juan Uribe did something good, I would high five that stranger. Mm-hmm. But that was my time to like try to be a normal person. And then I would have to go back up, you know, or be myself, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then I would have to go back up and, and try to be a professional again. Uh, I'm ho- looking forward to, you know, obviously I will write about whatever happens there, mm-hmm. but I am very much looking forward to like watching those games at home, being able to go to bed, like when I want to, not when like Mike Moustakis is done talking, you know, <laughs> and like, mm-hmm. and then when the seven train delivers me. Uh, yeah. So I'm looking forward to it for now. It's easy for me to say that. Like, we'll see how I feel. Like if we wanted to check back in in three weeks, we both just absolutely look like shit with like big yeah. Pete Davidson rings under our eyes. Cause we can't sleep because of how mm-hmm. anxious we are. Then, you know, that would be a funny punchline to this. Uh, I hope that doesn't happen, but I don't know. I know. And we'll see what happens. I think this weekend will be fun. It's like predictions of like, I don't know, man, baseball's weird. And this weekend, like 
we've never seen this before. Like yeah. we've never been in a situation in our adult lives of the Braves, and the Mets being exactly the same and yep. being just as good going into the last weekend where everything is on the table. Like yep. this is just uncharted waters that I have no idea how this is going to go. It's just going like, to be fun. Yeah. And it like, it means a lot, but it's not the sort of thing where like, you're going to wind up having to go home. Like you're going to wind up having to go I mean, play Dodgers. If you get this that's not what you spot, Like you don't get the buy because whoever yep. wins this, you're going to be one of the top two seeds. So mm-hmm. you're getting a first round buy, which is huge. But also, if you get this, if you're the wild card team, you're getting the Padres probably. Yeah. And the Padres have a better road record than home record this year. So that's just terrifying. Like, I have yeah. no biz. I do not want any part of the Padres. Yep. Getting like, yeah, definitely that's the part of it where like Mm-mm. my attempt at being like all Buddha nature and cool <laughs> about this like mm-hmm. completely falls by the boards. Or it's just like the idea of being like, congratulations, you made the playoffs. Like, now you have to go deal with like yeah deal with the Padres deal with the Dodgers like deal like no thanks like yeah. the at this point like the moment that uh, the gratitude vanishes as and I become entitled as soon as I get the opportunity that's just how fan brain works I guess there you go I mean big boy's got an owl pet owl so it's yep. everything's coming up Atlanta right now uh, yeah good about that they're a good team man if they weren't the damn Braves I'd probably like them a lot more but <laughs> I also got this um this doesn't look this heavy mm-hmm. so this is grimald um, oh yeah like got him in Asheville during our honeymoon right just super cool big into i'm a big gargoyle guy mm-hmm. got gargoyle guy um Very and difficult word to say. all into it this is made in atlanta and i was like done deal like made in atlanta i need to know where this came from but uh just the cool stuff like that so um so where very big the, into uh, owls in this uh there's a gargoyle factory in atlanta apparently like because this you gotta guy track this was down, made. Dude. I would like to know more about this. He's like twenty five pounds. This dude is heavy. Wow. And he's reading, so his name's Grimald. And uh, yeah, big fan. Yeah. Congrats on the gargoyle and yeah. getting married. Uh, thank you. You know, in that order. Yes. Uh, but yeah, thank you for for having me on, dude. I appreciate it. This was a blast. I'm glad yeah. we were able to reconnect, my friend. Good stuff. Yeah, it's um, been a minute, but I'm very happy to be able to do it again. So let's, sometime in the next five or six years, I guess we should pick this back up. Yeah, I think so. We should do it more often. More yeah, often, sure. David. All right. Um, well, don't forget, folks, go subscribe to Defector.com, a very good website if you have not already done so. I'm subscribed, been subscribed for how many years now has it been? We Just two. We just had two. our second okay. birthday uh, in early September. There you go. Um, it's well worth uh, the monthly subscription cost. And listen to the distraction with Drew and David each week on Apple, Spotify, wherever your podcast. David, thank you so much. And I thank will talk you, to dude. you again. Very it sounds soon. like your dog is up. All right. Take care. Dude. You heard that, right? Yeah, yeah I did. Please, she's <laughs> done with the podcast. Bye, right. David. See you, man. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.